0: The Voice of Motown, West Virginia's leader in news, analysis, and rumors, proudly presents The Voice of Motown podcast, featuring your boys, Brandon and Tyler. Take it away, gentlemen.
1: What's going on, guys? This is The Voice of Motown podcast. I'm Tyler Peppy.
0: I'm Brandon Cork, and this is a WVU sports podcast by two suffering WVU fans.
1: All right, so you may have noticed the name change. We're going by the Voice of Motown uh, podcast now. We're proud to announce our partnership with the Voice of Motown. We enjoy the work they do, and we're looking forward to working with them moving forward.
0: Definitely. Yeah, we're big fans of them, and um, Brad, the owner of Voice of Motown, reached out to us um, over Twitter, and we were able to connect um, and found that, you know, we think it would be a good match, Um, and we hope that people who already listen to us and haven't viewed the Voice of Motown's content before, is able to enjoy his content, and uh, vice versa. Um, People who haven't listened to us before, we hope you like what you hear.
1: Absolutely. So if you're new to this podcast, what we typically do is recap the last game, which for this week, it was Texas Tech, and then we preview the upcoming game. And for this week, that'll be the Baylor Bears. So let's jump right into it. The West Virginia Mountaineers, who are seven-point favorites, heading into the game, lose to Texas Tech 23-20. to uh, I, I woke up Sunday morning and I started re-watching the game. And my initial thoughts were, I think it's time we have to admit, WVU is simply just not very good. They're not the team we thought they could be this year. Uh, people could argue that we could be 5-0, well, you could also argue that we could be 1-4 and four if Virginia Tech scores at the end of that game. So um, you are what your record says you are, and our record says we're 2-3. and three. We're an under-500 football team right now. No more excuses. No more we almost won that one. We just simply aren't very good this year. Now, those are my initial thoughts. Now that it's Tuesday and I've had some time to process the game and calm down a little bit, um, I, I think we are a talented football team without a doubt. And I think we've proven that this year. The problem is it's lightning in a bottle. We could put together one or two solid quarters and then we're a completely different team in the other half of the ball game. And you just simply cannot win on a consistent basis when your team is Jekyll and Hyde. And I blame that more on coaching than I do our players. How do you feel about it?
0: I I completely agree. Um, I do think some of it has to do with our youth, but just seeing that performance that we had on Saturday made me kind of want to dig in a little bit deeper on Neil Brown and and some of the metrics that I think kind of leads to a coach's success. So um, what I did is I went through um, Sports Reference and a couple other websites and kind of compiled some statistics on what good – above good and above average coaches do so i looked at things like how often do they win close games um just for comparison because wvu has been in four close games this year um what is the how often do they score touchdowns in the red zone um how often do they have blowout wins or blowout losses and how often do they convert on third down i think looking at all those things together leads to a good football team so um Upon looking at those metrics, kind of what I found is there's definitely a correlation between those with great football coaches and above average football coaches. So people like Lincoln Riley, Debo Sweeney, Kirby Smart, those people win at least 66% of their close games. Now, obviously, they have a little bit more talent, but even when the game gets rough and dirty, they figure out a way to pull out the win. Um, you know, maybe the next tier down when you're looking at other coaches like maybe Jimbo Fisher Gary Patterson, David Shaw, Mike Gundy, even those coaches are around the 60% mark. And Rich Rodriguez was even around the 60% mark as a head coach. Um, And then whenever we were looking at scoring touchdowns in the red zone, those great coaches, again, are around 70% of touchdowns in the red zone over uh, over the past 10 years, I should say. And you have those next tier of good, above-average coaches somewhere around the 60% mark. Um, the kind of more telling stat that, that I found that, um, measures is blowout wins versus blowout losses. So the great coaches normally have about seven to 10 times more blowout wins than they do losses, where more above average to good coaches have three to two to three times more blowout wins than they do losses. Now, how does Neil Brown next stack up to those statistics? So Um, We talked about close win percentage. Um, We said those above average coaches to good coaches are around 60%. Neil Brown, over his entire course of his head head coaching career, is at at 58%, um, 18 and 13 in close games. And that's any game that is within one score at the end of the game. But at WVU, he's only at 46%. So that is well below average. That's actually below Dana Holgerson's years at WVU. Um, Dana Holgerson was at about 58% during his years. Um, If we're looking at red zone offense, um, Neil Brown is at 59%. Dana Holgerson was at 60% of scoring touchdowns in the red zone. Third down percentage, Neil Brown 39% over his whole career, including Troy. 40% for Dana Holgerson and those others um, that we mentioned were were all above 40%. The top of the list were above 45%. And then when it comes to the blowout win ratio, Neil Brown across all his years as is at a 1.5 blowout ratio, means that he's getting 1.5 times more blowout wins than he has losses. But he's been blown out 11 times, which is being beat by more than three scores, and he has won blowout games 17 times, um, which is scoring by more, winning by more than three scores against the team, um, and that's only against. Um, power five teams as well across the board so you know just to make things even so i think kind of what that shows is that you know especially the close games and those conversions in the end zones and on thirds downs and those crunch time situations he, he just isn't very efficient even though he isn't more analytically driven coach um it's just not something there's not clicking and i think some of that has to do with juggling um the head coaching responsibility with the offensive coordinator responsibility um, where he, he really just needs to be focused on maybe managing the team, spending more time on fixing things like not committing penalties, especially in bad situations, um, figuring out ways to manage the clock better so that you don't have to call a timeout and first down. And, and kind of leading into that point, the timeout issue, um, I did some digging into that as well. We had, um, Four timeouts over this entire year, not including LIU because I threw that game out the window because it doesn't really mean anything. Uh, Four timeouts on a first and 10. We had two additional plays that were on a first and 10 that I didn't include in that four that were, um, we had a big play against Maryland and we called a timeout before Letty scored a touchdown. And we also had a timeout against Texas Tech on a first and 10 when we tried to sub green in. when we were inside, I think the the 15 and the right personnel wasn't in. So we had to call the timeout and they put Deggy back in. We've also had four first quarter timeouts and three second quarter timeouts with more than 10 minutes left. So adding all those together, you know, we're talking over 10 timeouts just, you know, for basically no reason than being unprepared. And, you know, sometimes you just need someone who's able to take charge and make sure people are prepared for that and then the same thing on penalties this is a discipline thing this is a coaching thing we have five penalties on first and ten we have five penalties across the year on sec between second and five and second and seven so that means you're taking an advantage a second and manageable and putting yourself back to square one on on second down we have two penalties on third and one which a third and one into a third and six Basically, you're building a mountain for yourself to make progress. And we also have one penalty on a fourth and one. So again, you're making your hole deeper whenever you're making those mistakes. And those are things that need to be ironed out. Um, so, you know, h- how does that kind of line up with how we did against Texas Tech? And I think a lot of that has to do with kind of how we approached the red zone. So, um, you know, we did take some bad timeouts, but if we look at the game and we look at The red zone statistics, we had two opportunities where Deggie wasn't able to throw a touchdown, wasn't able to score a touchdown. We had to settle for field goals twice. Those are very touchdown eligible areas, and we should be scoring touchdowns there. We didn't even give Green a shot. So I dug into the stats there. And, um, you know, Garrett Green, he has 11 snaps inside the 20. he has one touchdown. They're averaging five yards per play. And Deggie, on 36 plays, they have passed 25 times. He has completed eight passes, been sacked once, and thrown one interception. So he is completing just about a third of his passes inside the 20. Um, and I think that showed against Texas Tech. Um, so I do think Jared Deggie, you know, deserves to play. But I think the red zone rules need to be looked at a little bit closer to see if there's a way we can get more touchdowns.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I agree with all that. And, uh, those are some interesting stats. Another one that I saw is while at WVU, Neil Brown has a 13 and 14 record. However, he's only nine and 14 versus power five opponents. Shout out to Skylar, uh, Callahan over at SI for that information. But that's very interesting because if you're around 500, you feel like, well, there's growing pains there. But when you break it down and say, well, actually nine and 14 versus, you know, good teams, that's a little concerning. Um, here's the other big thing about Saturday, Texas Tech was a team missing their starting quarterback, their starting wide receiver. Three defensive starting backs. You have all of those guys out. You you can't be playing a team missing six, seven starters out of twenty two, and you still lose. Um now Texas Tech has a good record, but let's be honest, they aren't probably they probably aren't finishing in the top. Yeah. They they haven't really played anyone good, and they're probably not gonna finish in the top four or five. And so I'm sure at the end of the year we're not gonna look back and feel like you know, this was a good loss. Uh, These are games you have to win. That was always the knock on Dana. That's one of the reasons why, why so many fans wanted him out of here is because he could ups- upset a team. He had no business beating, but then he would have horrible performances against teams like Texas Tech this year who you're expected to beat. I mean, we were seven-point favorites going in there. Um, I, I feel like I say the same thing every week. I'm not ready to give up on Neil Brown. I'm glad he's our head coach. He's done a great job recruiting, which is half the battle, being a coach in the NCAA. Um, he's still young, so he can improve on his coaching skills. It's not like he's done developing as a head coach. So I'm being patient. However, WVU is a team that makes the same mistakes week in and week out. And like I said earlier, that's on coaching to me. If, you, if you're continuously making the same mistakes, it's on the coaching staff. It's their job to identify mistakes made and improve on those mistakes throughout the week. That's their job. We are not correcting our own mistakes. And when you're your own worst enemy, um, yeah, you know, you're not going to win a lot of ball games. And to me, that's on coaching. Right. How do you yeah. feel about that?
0: Yeah, and I, I think it all goes back to kind of looking at, you know, the penalties like, when you're committing a penalty, when you have a third and one or a fourth and one, or you have a second and manageable, when you're putting yourself back, like those are things that should be drilled out in practice. You know, I, I only ever, ever played uh, you know, football all the way up until high school, but that, those were things we practiced. Like you, you, you move on the snap, you don't move before the snap. You know, when you're blocking, this is where you drive. You don't, you know, this is where you don't put your hands. You practice for those things so you don't commit those penalties. You don't want to hurt yourself. Now, obviously some penalties are going to happen, um, and I feel like, you know, the most common ones are going to be holding, um, you know, you're going to have some pass interference and things like that on defense just because, you know, contact happens. But all the false starts, especially with the center, um, and, and I don't fault Zach Frazier for it. He's a sophomore. Um, it, it's a coaching thing. It's, you know, just getting in there and, you know, doing it right. Um, you know, bringing in a play from the sidelines and bring making sure the right personnel is getting in there. That's not on the players. You know, if a player is not you know, listening to the coach getting ready to run in, then, you know, from my experience, most coaches will just be like, you're not going in this play. You weren't ready. So if we're, you know, don't have some, the next man up to take that guy's place because he's not ready, then, you know, that's on the coaches. We need to, we shouldn't be taking timeouts or delays a game because we can't get the right personnel and because we can't get the play in. That's all coaching. Um, You know, same thing with, you know, substitutions and, and all that other stuff. Um, It's all just coaching. It's simple. It's its the things that you need to take care of. And I understand that, you know, Neil Brown is probably focused on perfecting the play calls, but I feel like this year he has really kind of dumbed down the playbook quite a bit. You know, how often have we seen them just run screen, slant, screen, slant, run up the middle? There's not a lot of creativity to it. And I think a lot of that has to do with the youth of the team, you know, the lack of, you know, Deggy having a cannon of an arm, um, the lack of, you know, Garrett Green being able to be a reliable passer, possibly the offensive line being a little bit streaky. So I just don't know what the excuse is. Like if the playbook seems simplified, because I think it is simplified and we still can't get the plays in, we still can't run our snaps on time. We still can't, you know, stop calling timeouts in inopportune situations. What is time being spent on correcting? Because, you know, I think to your point, there's no progress um, over these, issues that seem fixable. And I would like to understand what's going on there.
1: Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. Like, what are they working on? I'm I'm sure they are addressing these problems, but I don't know. Uh, I mean, we're not there at practice, but the same problems do keep appearing and that is concerning. So let's, uh, one more thing before we get into the quarterbacks. WVU's offense was shut out in the first half against Texas Tech. That hasn't, I look back, I thought this has been a while since this has happened. I forgot all about Iowa State last year, the the last game of the regular season. Iowa State put a beating on WVU and, and did shut them out in the first half. But that makes it even more concerning because that was just four or five games ago. So four or five games, you should not be getting shut out in a half. Um, so hopefully that's something we don't see again for the rest of the year. Um, but let's get into Daigie and Green. So is again, same problems. He's still not going through his progressions, it seems like. Several plays when Daggy had open targets on the opposite side of the field, uh, but he never went through those progressions. And maybe um, protections, a concern for him, maybe that's in his head, um, because he seems to have happy feet. He seems to want to just go to his first guy a lot. And... Um, we're leaving four points on the field every week, it seems like, because of this lack of progression. And when you're losing games by one possession every week, you know, four points here and there is, is huge. That's the difference between us being happy right now because we have a great record and us being upset because we're two and three. And so uh, we we really got to fix that as well and start getting seven instead of three points when we're getting close. It's a game of inches and we're not doing ourselves any favors.
0: Right, 100%. And, you know, the one thing I noticed is actually, I don't think Deggy had a bad game. I think the first half was just kind of, you know, a, a series of kind of unfortunate events where, you know, he, he could have done things to get to, to do better, like maybe step up into a pocket so that he had a little bit more time, you know. But <clears throat> a lot of what the defense was doing is they were taking away the middle of the field. That's where Deggy likes to throw it to. And that's where. You know, Neil Brown was kind of scheming to attack them. Um, the first play of the game, um, I think Neil Brown was trying to to bait uh, Texas Tech into a, you know, biting on that slant because they actually had uh, Bryce Ford Wheaton run a sluggo, so a slant and go. And if, you know, he was open if that linebacker didn't get the, the ball on it, but they're just all so squeezed in the middle, um, it becomes an issue. And on that same route, they ran two corner routes. I couldn't see it on the screen if they were open or not, but it did look like at least Winston Wright may have had some space. It's a long throw. It's hard. But, you know, defenses are starting to lock on that this is where Deggy likes to attack the field. This is where he likes to go. So as a coach, you have to kind of switch it up. You know, the screen passes help. Um, you know, those corner routes that we run two or three times a game help. But, you know, that's or even attacking further down the field like we did in the second half. Those help. And and I think that showed a lot there. But where where Deggy is really weak, and he has shown that all this year, I think he showed it against Army, is in pressure situations, he just kind of falls apart and he loses his composure. And that's fine. You know, you can be a good quarterback in between the 20 and still win games. But when you have someone like Garrett Green on the bench who has shown that when he's in the red zone, he produces touchdowns, even if it's ugly, even if he's making the wrong read, he somehow ends up in the end zone, either him or Letty. So, you know, whenever we're inside the 15, inside the 20, you know, because Deggie hasn't shown the ability to throw a touchdown pass within the 10 yard line all year, um, you know, give Garrett Green those touches and see if we can get more points on the board and stop settling for field goals. I mean, field goals are nice, they're points, but whenever we're playing a deliberate slow style where we're trying to limit the number of plays that we're running, number of the plays the other team's running, there's so many only so many ways that you can screw up before you just blow off opportunities to win, and uh, when you take into account the the timeouts, the penalties at inter in opportune times, um, you know the at least one turnover a game. If you're not scoring touchdowns to make up for those issues, then those points are gone and you're not getting them back.
1: Yeah, I heard Neil Brown even talking in his press conference today that. Um, games nowadays, you only get about eight possessions, roughly. And so, you know, the difference between three and seven points is huge when you're limited possessions. Now, um, (laughs) seems like everyone's just ragging on Deggy, which I always try to say something positive about him. He does seem like a good kid. He doesn't make excuses when he gets to the press conference. In fact, he talked earlier today and he even said, you're, you're held to a higher standard as a quarterback. And I hold myself to that standard. And he also said, stay off social media and get back to work. So that's definitely encouraging. That's that's stuff I want to hear from Daigie because as I've said for several weeks now, I don't want Daigie completely out of the game plan, but I do want to see Gary Green in there more. In fact, I was very disappointed against Texas Tech that in the first two drives, we didn't see Green come out one time. Mm-hmm. And those Ended very quickly, and then we gave Texas Tech good field position, and they were up 14 nothing before we knew it.
0: And he didn't play um, a snapping the second half either, Green.
1: No, he which, almost did. I mean, I get it. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I get it because Daggy was doing great in the second half, but I just feel like the game plan going in should be to have a mixture of those two guys. Like, why do we not do the two quarterback system in the first half? They gave Green a drive and he actually was moving. It wasn't a, a horrible drive. It ended with a, a fourth down um, not being converted. But uh, play both quarterbacks on the same drive. I, it it worked at certain times in past games, and I don't understand why they're they're so scared to do that. It makes the defense think. It makes them adjust and account for two quarterbacks that have um, different skill sets. And so, other than the second half of that texas tech game i think our offense has looked best here when both guys are playing
0: yeah i i think they both need to play too and i don't like kind of how they came out in you know how, how brown did it for against texas tech was it seemed more like a competition like hey Deggy's struggling green go out there and win it and i think it's a lot simpler on both quarterbacks if you have them supplant each other instead of saying hey you get this whole drive to go prove, prove your worth. And I know competition breeds excellence, so they say, but, you know, I, I still think it creates, you know, maybe some problems for people where or some issues arise. I mean, from my, what I understand, Deggie and Green get along pretty well. So you don't want to screw that up by making it too competitive. Um, you know, and it is hopefully, I think, Deggie's last year. So, and I do think Deggy brings value to the team. Like I said, you know, I think if he's a quarterback that you throw out there between, you know the 20s or you know even to the 10 yard line if you're feeling like he's getting hot and you want to give him a chance there i think that works but i think once you get into the 10 the 20 green has to be out there every time i just don't see what the stats just don't prove that Deggy can produce points there you know 25 passes eight completions three touchdowns one interception one sack those are really bad numbers um and, you know, it's the field shrunk. He doesn't have tremendous arm power. He can't zip it in there. That's not his fault. And that's just not the quarterback he is. So, I mean, I like the little packages that they have for Green with the triple option motion, um, those little dump-offs to Winston Wright. I think those plays work great, and it keeps the defense on their heels, even though it's not doing anything super fancy. It's just a lot of misdirection. And it leaves holes open, especially for Letty, because if Green or Winston Wright is going out to the flats or going out to the outside, then those linebackers have to respect that. And that gives Letty an extra yard or two up the middle where he can just plow his way through. And he, we, we all know he's one of the best in the business at that.
1: Yeah, yeah. Put these players in situations where they can be successful. And and once again, I thought that's on the coaching staff. And we talked about last week how Green playing uh, more actually elevates Levy, Letty's game as well. And you really got to get him going because – um, you know, there's lots of games where it just seems like he he just never really gets going. I do want to shout out two offensive players who had great receiving days, Isaiah Isdale and Winston Wright. I hope that um, – I know Texas Tech had a bang, banged up secondary, but uh, I hope that is something we're going to see more down the road. What do you think of their performances? Yeah,
0: I mean, with the receiving core that we have and the way that they've performed all year, there's not a guy that, that, that plays a lot who – I don't. Want, I want to play less. Like I think Bryce Ford Wheaton, the way they're using him more recently as an intermediate threat, he's been great there. Um, you know, Winston Wright on those short passes, and even on, I mean, he's been our best deep route runner despite him being one of the smaller receivers. Um, you know, he caught a great corner route today um, that was thrown up there kind of like a rainbow, but he came down with it, um, and he's been incredible. Um, Esdale, I mean, he had a big game here, and then. Um, I think it was the Virginia Tech game as well, where he had a really good game. And I think he played almost the entire second half. Um, and Sam James, I mean, I think he only had one or two catches today. But, you know, he's a big play guy. He he may have used to have drop issues, but it seems like this year, if you throw him the ball 20 yards downfield, he's going to come down with it and make something happen. Um, you know, and uh, unfortunately, we have five good receivers and we can only play three or four at a time. So... I'm really hoping we you know can keep that rotation going, making sure we're not leaving someone out because I want them all to you know contribute because you know, like that drive where esdale scored the touchdown, I think he was the receiver on every pass on that touchdown drive. He literally drove the field himself um before he got obliterated in the end zone and made that incredible catch. Um, but you know, it just kind of goes to show you is once someone gets hot, like. Bryce Ford Wheaton did against uh, um, Oklahoma. You, know, you just keep feeding them, and it, it works. So I love our receiving core. Um, going into the season, I was a little wary, especially after the past couple of years with all the drops. But this year, you know, they all look really good. Um, and it, it's way better than I thought it would be. Uh, I'm super excited, especially since I, I don't, you know, we had most of them coming back. Um And that's going to help a lot next year when we have a younger running back back there since Luddy's most likely gone. Um, He's probably going to get drafted. So really good situation there for sure.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's a good problem to have, to have all of those wide receivers playing well that, um, you know, you're just hoping they all get playing time. That's a good problem to have. And it seems like they have fixed those drops uh, issue that they had last year. So that's also encouraging. All right, so let's get into the defense um, on Saturday versus Texas Tech. I don't think you can blame this loss on the defense. Uh we've we've talked about it in previous podcasts. WVU has a bend but don't break defense. They're gonna give up some yards, but they're they're gonna minimize how many points they're allowing with those yards. And on the very first drive, they allowed tech to get all the way to midfield. They gave up thirty-four yards, but they forced an interception on that drive. So then let's talk about the first two scoring drives that they had right after that. The first one, Texas Tech only had to go 58 yards because Tech starts at their own 42-yard line and that that was because our defense went three and out, our def or sorry, our offense went three and out. They only gained 4 yards on their first possession and then they gave Tech pretty good starting field position. Now, yeah, I mean 58 yards is still the defense that's not an excuse, but, I mean, that early in the game, if you're putting Tech practically at midfield, um, you know, occasionally you're going to let up seven. And then on the very next scoring drive by Texas Tech, they only had to go 34 yards because of the Daggy fumble. And so right off the bat, you're down 14 um, nothing. I think the offense has to help the defense by picking up some first downs, controlling clock. And uh, playing the field position battle. Our defense didn't even give up a first down in the third quarter. So I don't know how anyone could say uh, this loss is on the defense. What did you see out there?
0: Uh, So I I think I didn't like the strategy coming into the game. I understand that uh, Texas Tech um, was the number one, I think, in explosive plays or big yard plays or whatever it was um, coming into the game. So there is a fear of, you know, them just bombing it on you. Um, but I didn't like how soft we were playing. I mean, Texas Tech knew we like to play soft and they were hitting us with slants and screens and outside runs and you know just little things that eat up everything underneath. Um so you know, whenever you have guys seven to ten yards off the play, it makes it really hard for your defense to be successful because all it takes is two plays for them to get a first down. It takes them, you know, you know, maybe ten eight plays to get downfield and score a touchdown. Um, whenever they started playing a little bit more aggressively upfield with their defensive backs, um, in the second half is when our defensive line started being able to exert their force. Um, so in the first half, you know, um, he, Texas Tech was getting the ball out of their hands really quickly. Um, so our defensive line didn't have a chance to get pressure on him in the second half when we played a little bit further up, uh, we attacked the passes a little bit more. We played physical to the ball instead of letting them catch it and then tackle, we were able to get pressure so you know I hope that serves as a little bit of a a reminder to the defensive staff so that we don't play as soft Um, I understand the don't break strategy but you know instead of playing seven yards off the ball eight yards off the ball maybe play five um, take away some of those shorter passes um, and give your defensive line a chance to make a play because I think that was the big thing is in the first half our offense didn't help but our defensive line didn't have a chance to make any impact. And that's our best part of the team is that defensive line. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, you, you do bring up good points. There were, there were certain situations where it was third and short second and short, and they were playing very loose coverage. I don't know if that's because, yeah, what we talked about last week that Texas tech loves taking those 50, 50 uh, deep throws and just hoping they come down with one, which ultimately that's, kind of how they won the game. Yeah. Um, and and so maybe that was the strategy. But um, I definitely think it's been an issue all season long that the offense is putting our defense in a lot of bad situations by, um, you know, just having a lot of quick drives. And then, and you know, I don't even put it on our punter because, honestly, he had a pretty decent punt that first punt. It's just when you're kicking out of your own end zone, um, you know, the the other team's going to start around midfield. There's just no other way around that.
0: Yeah, I mean, the rule for the offense has to be, I think, regardless of team, situation, or league, you need to at least get one first down on your drive because not only does that help your defense with field position, but it helps them get a breather. I mean, it doesn't matter how good of a defense you are. I mean, you know, I'm a Steeler fan, you're a Steeler fan, and we know that with the Steelers, like nowadays, if Ben's going three and out because he can only throw four-yard passes – then it doesn't matter if you have T.J. Watt and Mika Fitzpatrick and everyone else on that defense, people get tired. So it doesn't matter how good and how loaded you are, how much of an advantage you have. If, you know, you can't give them a breather, then that you're just wasting that defense.
1: Yeah, and and that is one thing I I want to say. Uh, Coach Leslie did a nice job. He was rotating fresh guys in on some of those longer drives that Tech had. Um so, I mean, again, that, that's something I can really give the coaching staff credit for. They're learning from their mistakes because that's what really killed them versus Oklahoma.
0: Um, yeah, I yeah, love the adjustments. Else- um, I was just going to say I love the adjustments with the, in the second half. I mean, we did exactly what we needed to do. Um, you know, we forced them to try to take the shots. Obviously, we got beat once. Um, that's what adult, uh, ended the game. Um, but, you know, you, you gotta you gotta play a little bit of aggressive sometimes, and there's nothing wrong with that. If you lose the game because you're aggressive, at least you tried. Um, and, and to that point, uh, the segue into it, um, the final drive, um, we they had the ball, I think, at the ten with about two minutes left. Um, I've heard several people say we should let them score, and I, I'm kind of in that camp because I don't think their their kicker has never missed a kick under forty yards. I would rather have a chance to have the ball, even if it is with Jared Deggy and an offense that is inconsistent, to, to go down there and try to tie it and guarantee a tie, rather than hope someone misses a forty minus uh, less than a forty yard field goal. What what do you think about that?
1: Yeah, that's that's a really good question. I don't know what the right answer is to it. Personally, I'm the opposite. I I want. I think you should never just give a team uh points but uh you you do make a good point I don't know just with our defense for how they played this year I mean look at all the stops they had versus Virginia Tech that was a little bit of a different situation because they had to get in the end zone whereas Tech could you know just kill clock and then kick the field goal but um yeah I don't know what the right answer is there but yeah I'm always a believer that you make the other team earn those points
0: yeah, Neil Brown said something along the lines of that um, in a different phrase, um, they didn't have enough clock to do that, which I don't know if I agree with because I think he said, you know, when he, they were considering it was a, with about a minute 40 left. And I feel like, you know, with the college football rules of getting a first down, a minute 40 is a long time. Um, I mean, we got ourselves almost in field position in 20 seconds um, with that deep pass. If we would have spiked the ball, got another – 10 yards, we might be trotting out Casey Legge to see if he can make a 50-plus yarder to tie it. Um, so, you know, the ending of that game, I think there's a lot of question marks that could be had, and I, I don't criticize Neil Brown for making that decision. I just think it's a interesting football talk. Like, what's what's really? the right way? Like, what's the best way to approach it? Because, you know, me personally, I want the ball in my hands to try to, you know, tie it. Or even if you score a touchdown to get within one, you can go for two and win the game right there. So, um yeah, just fun thing to think about.
1: <laughs> yeah, it was a good question. Like I said, I don't know what the right answer is. Um good question though. Do you got anything else on the tech game? Or are you ready to get into Baylor?
0: Yeah, right. I think I'm ready to get into Baylor.
1: All right, let's do it. Saturday, WVU takes on the Baylor Bears. Baylor comes in as a three-point favorite. Um let's talk about Baylor for a little bit. The Baylor Bears, they're four and one. However, the, um, the Iowa State win is probably the only quality win they have thus far this season. They beat Texas State, Texas Southern, and Kansas. They lost a tough one to Oklahoma State last week. Um, typically, when you think of Baylor, you think of a team that likes to bat- pass the ball. Um however this team it's not the case. This team is fantastic at running the ball. They average almost 240 yards a game almost. That's about uh that ranks 20th, last I looked. Baylor uses a lot of misdirection to set up these run plays. Um so expect a lot of movement in the backfield. Smith and um Edner is their are their running backs they like to use a lot, and Bohanna is their quarterback, but he does uh, more running than, than throwing the ball out there. Something that I thought was interesting, even though they run the ball a lot, surprisingly, they don't eat up clock. Um, they have only won the time of possession battle twice, and that was against Texas State and Texas Southern. And so versus some of these more quality opponents, they're, they're either losing the time of possession or they're, they're almost, you know, identical with their opponents. Um, so, um, they have lost the time of possession battle in all three big 12 games. That will be a big factor on Saturday because we were kind of just talking about it because our defense, their biggest problem this year has been getting worn down over the course of the game. So what are your thoughts on the Baylor bears?
0: Yeah, their rushing attack is fierce. Um, you know, and I I thought the one step that really kind of was interesting to me to look at in 2021 is they have run the ball 195 times and they have passed the ball 121 times. Um, Neil Brown likes to talk about how they want a 60-40 pass to run split, and this is more than flipping that. Um, (laughs) It's just crazy to see that, you know, a team wants to run that much. And, you know, that Abram Smith, he seems like a problem, 7.6 yards per carry, six touchdowns Um, and Bohannon. He, he's just someone who seems like a game manager. I mean, like a more mobile Jared Deggie last year. He has, he completes 67% of his passes. He has no turnovers. Um, they've only, no interceptions. They have lost four fumbles on the season. But, you know, if you have a quarterback out there who's going to manage the game, that makes it a little bit harder for the team, to, the, the, the opposition, to take advantage of your lack of passing. Um, the one thing I did notice, though, is that, if you can take care of them on first and second down, they're not a very good third down team. So, they're only converting third downs on a thirty-nine percent clip. And at, if you look at the, um, if you watch the Oklahoma State game that they played, it was basically a punt fest. And the only time, the only two um, touchdowns that um, Baylor scored were whenever they were able to break at least one big play, so something that was twenty yards or more um one of them was like a 55 yard touchdown pass and then another one they had like a or no 55 yard touchdown run and then another one was a you know 40 yard pass that they broke and without those two big plays they don't score every other drive they were going you know five plays and out seven plays and out three plays and out so it's really important that we win the line of scrimmage stop them from getting their really good first and second down offense into third and longs and then just play the field position battle because that's kind of what they want to do um another thing that i noticed is um their red zone offense is really good they're scoring on 90 percent of their drives and they're scoring touchdowns on 75 percent of their red zone trips so that's really good uh 75 is high so if you can keep them outside the 20 that's in your best (laughs) <laughs> that's, that's in your best interest.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You beat me to it. I think turnovers is, I think that's going to be a big factor in this game. Like you said, Baylor has not thrown an interception this year. They have lost four fumbles. Um, but meanwhile, they've created nine turnovers, seven of which are interceptions, which can be a little <laughs> scary uh, for a team like WVU. They are plus five in the turnover battle. WVU, on the other hand, is negative five in the turnover margin. So um, they seem to have fixed that problem in the last couple of weeks. The, the, the past two games for WVU, they have split um, turnovers one-to-one with their opponent. Um, but it's not good when LIU is the only team you were able to beat in a turnover battle on the year. Baylor, like you said, they don't pass a lot. So creating turnovers and winning field position is going to be the two biggest factors, I think, in winning this game along with time of possession the offense has to help the defense Saturday we need long drives we need drives that eat up clock and we cannot afford to go three and out or only pick up one first down and then punt like we were doing in the first half against Texas Tech if the offense plays like they did in the first half against Tech we are in for a long day in Waco
0: yeah Uh, the one thing that so so like you said with the turnovers their defense is pretty scary um they have 37 tackles for a loss on the season, about seven a game. Um, I think WVU is one, one of the tops in the nation, and I think we're averaging eight or nine a game, so they're not too far behind. Um, but the one kind of bright light that I see in the tunnel is that you know they are allowing about four yards per rush. They've allowed six rushing touchdowns, and they have a really low stuff percentage. So plays where the defensive line just stops the running back at the line of scrimmage. They're only stuffing runs on 13% of uh, of run plays up the middle. So that's where Letty thrives and I, you know, even though they are a little inconsistent, I think our interior offensive line is the strength of our line. So hopefully we can take advantage of that and beat them up the middle a little bit. Um, you know, get have get Letty a strong game and get that run established early so that we can um, you know, maybe open up the pass and score some points yeah
1: yeah this defense you nailed it they they are definitely scary two um two guys two numbers to look for Saturday is Jalen Petrie number eight he's uh fr- fr- maybe their best defensive player he just seems to be all over the place and all he seems to find the ball so he'll definitely play an important role Saturday um and another interesting thing they they said Bernard their linebacker number two is coming back for this game. So uh, he might have a big impact on the outcome as well.
0: Yeah, it's going to be interesting. And I think it's going to be a fun game because this seems like a game where we come back and win just because of how disappointment, how disappointed the game was on Saturday. Um, you know, I, I think we can win it. I think it's going to be close. Baylor reminds me a lot of WVU, especially when it comes to being, you know, run-oriented Um, defensive team. Um, I do think their run game is a little bit more creative. (laughs) I do think that their quarterback is a little bit more interesting um, than than Jarrett Deggy. But, you know, I think the pieces line up enough that we should be able to win. I do think it's going to be close. Um, You know, I don't think it's as much as a gimme as Texas Tech should have been. So if we lose, I, I think that really kind of you know, brings us down even further in a spiral that, you know, we were all talking about our frustrations at the beginning of this podcast. It's going to make it worse. Even though Baylor was ranked last week, they dropped out after losing to Oklahoma State. Um, Baylor is a good team, but if you lose to Baylor, how are you getting to six wins? How are you getting to, you know, four wins in the the Big 12? I mean, you have Kansas and TCU. um, And I think if you're Neil Brown, you need to at least get bowl eligible if you don't do that then that's a really bad look what do you think
1: all right yeah i'm with you i think it'll be a one possession game i don't know who's gonna win it but i do think uh it'll be a tight one um and and yeah you brought up an interesting point i agree about the um becoming bold bowl eligible because if we don't win this game looking at the schedule i mean there are not a lot of easy games left and so that becomes a real concern and, and neil brown's first year we didn't make it to a bowl everyone kind of predict predicted that it wasn't a um you know it's a first year coach wasn't a great roster last year we we barely made it to a bowl game but i don't know about you it felt great to get a bowl win heading into the off season it got me excited about um this football season and so i think if he does not make it to a bowl game this year that'll be a huge step back
0: yeah yeah and and that army win gave me a lot of confidence going into this year too because they had a good record so you know like you said getting to a bowl and winning is gonna turn a lot of people's opinions around on the team
1: yeah i completely agree all right, well, let's wrap this up. Let's get into the good, bad, and wish. Um, what do you have for this week?
0: Um. So the good, I'm going to go a little bit uh off script, I guess, and say that I think Jared Deggy in between the 20s in the second half was good, and I like that. He was throwing the ball downfield, um, making some really pretty passes, and it was something that – shocked me whenever I was seeing him throw those passes. I was like, where did this come from? Who is this guy? Uh, I even joked that I thought that Will Greer came back from homecoming and he stole Jared Deggy's jersey. Um you know, so hopefully we can see more of that. That the offense needs that. I mean it I don't want it. The offense needs it. Um the bad um just the the constant theme of penalties and you know bad timing, bad situations. You know, in second and manageable, third and short, all that other stuff, it's just got to stop. You you can't be doing false starts and holds whenever you need to buckle down and do something. And penalties just derail everything. Um, My one wish is, you know, we use Garrett Green in the red zone every time. Every time we're inside the, at at least the 10, you want to play Deggy from the 20 to the 10, that's fine. But 10 and in, that needs to be Garrett Green time. Every time, regardless, unless he is hurt, he needs to be in there.
1: All right. Um, Yeah, I mean, honestly, we're going to be overlapping a lot in our good, bad, and wish this week. My good is wide receiver play last week. That was very encouraging, even though that was a banged-up secondary. It was great to see some guys really stepping up also Daggy's second half i mean like you just said it i mean where has that been all year um hopefully it's a thing things to come and he can keep that going the bad would be um um i mean i like neil brown but his mismanaging of the quarterback situation i want to see both quarterbacks out there i want to see green in the red zone just like you said and um my wish would be that our offense puts our defense in manageable field positions for the Baylor game. Um, I want to see. I hope that we don't fade in the second half. That's also my other wish because Baylor is built to wear you down in the second half, and so this is one of those games that we cannot fade like we've been doing for most of the year.
0: I love it. And if I would have told you after the Maryland game that we would both have Jared Deggie as a good. Would you believe me?
1: (laughs) No. No, I definitely would not have. (laughs) All right. um, If that is it, let's wrap this up. This is the Voice of Motown podcast. I'm Tyler Pepe.
0: I'm Brandon Cork, and uh, we thank you for listening.